first of all, I can totally get that you do sales coaching because I feel like you could sell ice to an Eskimo. You're just <laughs> one of those guys. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. This is The Art of Charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The Art of Charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We want to empower you to create an amazing life for yourself by making tools available to everyone that were previously only known to high performers. And we've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some great content and free stuff that we can't or don't share on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. This show is about you. We're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. If you're new to the show but you wanna know where to begin or find out more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, especially at our live programs here in Los Angeles, you can go to the website and we'll email you a starter kit of all the top shows here on The Art of Charm. We'll send you all the fundamentals like body language, eye contact, vocationality, dating and attraction, business networking and negotiation, relationship management, public speaking, and more. Pretty much all the stuff we'd wish we'd learned and mastered years ago. We've got our live programs running every week here in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we've got people from all over the world, which shows that no matter where you are, you can make it here if you want to learn and grow. Details on that at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp or give us a call here in the office, 888 413 7177. Or you can email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. We do read everything, and I'm looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today we're talking with my friend Rory Vodden. He's written a couple of best-selling books. He's younger than me, which makes me feel like I gotta step on the gas here. But we're gonna talk about three types of procrastination and how today's even chronic overachievers are procrastinators. Self-discipline simplified and why it isn't as hard as you think when you know how to think about it the right way. And tired time management techniques and trite cliches that you always hear about 
but that the world's ultra performers don't actually live by, how to multiply your time, and of course, figure out the money value of your time. This is a fascinating one, really useful, really good, and concise, so enjoy this one with Rory Vaden. So tell me what you do in, in one sentence here, and we'll flesh it out. In one sentence, what Rory does is he helps people do the things they know they should be doing even when they don't feel like doing them. Rory speaks in the third person. Yes, he does. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for going <laughs> on the show. I appreciate it. I mean, you, you've been an entrepreneur for a while. You're a New York Times bestselling author and you're younger than me, which means that I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> and, but what I like about the new book is that you teach people the psychology of procrastination, which you have to look at the psychology, right? Otherwise, you're just, it's like treating a cough by putting a mask over your face if you don't treat the underlying causes. So your your new work, Procrastinate on Purpose, I love that because who doesn't want to do that, right? Mm -hmm. or, or tell themselves they're doing that. Yeah, and the, the first book, Take the Stairs, was really about the psychology of overcoming procrastination, uh, improving self-discipline, how to do things you know you should do that you don't feel like doing, i.e. take the stairs, right. which is where the whole thing happened. And so people say, well, you know, wh what's up with that? Like you said, procrastination was like the, the foundation of a mediocre life, and now you're saying procrastinate on purpose. Well, this book is really about how to multiply time. And uh, there's a big difference in waiting to do something that you know you should be doing that you don't feel like doing versus waiting because you're deciding that now is not the right time. So not going to the gym when you know you should go but you don't feel like doing it, that's procrastination. That is a problem. That is the challenge, right? That is the foundation of you know what we say a mediocre life or in Take the Stairs we said it is the most expensive invisible cost in businesses today. But waiting because you're deciding intentionally that now is not the right time, that's not a problem. That is a virtue as a matter of fact. And it is a, a one word synonym for procrastinating on purpose, which is patience. It's kind of the patience to ignore your inbox temporarily and procrastinate on purpose with all the emails flying in so that you can actually focus and get something done during the day and make the most out of your time and spend your time on what we call the significant things. Yeah, yeah email's a classic example because you can spend, and I have spent, hours or a whole day or even a whole weekend if your inbox is really a shit show on email and then since activity breeds activity you know it turns every thread into instant messenger basically and or text messaging at the very least you can spend the whole weekend doing that and you can go ah zero inbox but you've literally done nothing to move 90% of your projects forward cuz 90 95% of that email was non urgent non important stuff that could have waited, et cetera. It doesn't move any of your core stuff forward. And and I know just from personal experience, you can spend years doing things like that, like quote unquote social media and other garbage that has no real tangible ROI and feel like you're doing all the work you could to move your business forward and totally spinning your wheels. Absolutely. Now, I want to come back to something that you just said there about important and urgent. That is actually the problem that email usually is the things that are urgent, uh, you know, or they're people who are making noise. And the very first sentence in Procrastinate on Purpose is everything you know about time management is wrong. And the reason why we say that is because most people are still evaluating their tasks based on only importance and urgency. And that was really introduced by the late 
you know, great Dr. Stephen Covey in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And pre-Dr. Covey, time management was always like one-dimensional. It was all about efficiency. And it was about getting things done faster. And efficiency is fine, but it has this point of diminishing returns, which is very well evidenced by the fact that we all carry around computers in our pockets, and yet we're never caught up on email. We're always falling behind, and you know we're kind of always stressed out. But in the late 80s, Dr. Covey introduced that time management matrix where the y-axis was importance and the x-axis was urgency. And it was a breakthrough at the time because it gave us a way to score our tasks and then to prioritize them. Uh, it was kind of two-dimensional thinking, and we could focus first on what mattered most by evaluating them based on importance and urgency. The only problem is that think about how much the world has changed since 1989. I mean, that's when that book happened, and there's no Google, there's no internet, there's no cell phones, there's no Facebook, and so there is a huge limitation to prioritizing that nobody ever talks about, which is this, that there is nothing about prioritizing inherently that creates more time. All prioritizing does is take item number seven on your to-do list and it bumps it up to number one, but it doesn't do anything for you as it relates to accomplishing the other items right. on your list. And so what we uh, started to notice when we were kind of doing the research and, and uh, you know, what we do at Southwestern Consulting is coaching. Uh, we do sales coaching, really, and we have about 115 coaches and we have uh, almost 900 active clients that we work with, like on a daily basis, one-on-one. -on -one. And we noticed that a new type of thinker has emerged, which we refer to as a multiplier. And they have kind of realized that you can't solve today's time management challenges with yesterday's time management thinking. And they're making a new calculation, Jordan. It's, it's a third calculation, which is not just importance or urgency, but significance. And understanding the significance calculation changes everything. And that's the part that it, it takes people a little while to get their mind around about what really is significance. Yeah, I can see, first of all, I can totally get that you do sales coaching, because I feel like you could sell ice to an Eskimo. You're just <laughs> one of those guys. Um, and to kind of go back to the urgency importance thing, it, I get that now, right? Because doing your scheduling that way is kind of like decluttering your room by shoving everything into the closet and backing the door shut and going, ah, look, I only have the things I really use now, right? But it's still lurking around in there and you still gotta handle it at some point. It's just more orderly and maybe it's, like you said, more efficient, but it, it didn't declutter anything. That's right. And, and so it, here's the distinction between the three is if importance is how much does something matter and urgency is how soon does something matter, then significance, it's like the Z axis on that diagram. It takes it from a square and it makes it into a cube. Um, significance is how long is this going to matter? And most of us, what we do is we operate like almost all the cliches that you hear about time management are just wrong. Like they're not things that multipliers really believe in. And that's what we did. Like we asked them, do you believe in balance? Uh, do you believe in making a to-do list and doing a schedule? Like here's a great example. So the to-do list is kind of the, the modern day like tool of choice, the weapon of choice. And most people, we put our to-do list together and I used to do this. We put it together, we say, what's the most important thing I have to do today? And that is not how multipliers think. The cliche is 
you know, there's nothing you can do to get more time. We all have the same amount of time. It's, it's the one thing you can never get more of. Well, that is true inside of like the construct of thinking about one day. We all have the same 24 hours, 1,440 minutes, right. uh, 80, you know, 86,400 seconds or whatever. Let's pretend you just did that math in your head right now. I did, yeah, <laughs> in my head. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but what the multipliers do is instead of saying, what's the most important thing I can do today? The significance calculation says, how can I use my time in a way today that creates more time tomorrow? Oh, so in, interesting. So in one sentence, the way that you multiply time um, is you multiply time by giving yourself the emotional permission to spend time on the things today that create more time tomorrow. Like creating a system to manage something instead of working on that manual way to do it, investing in something like that, like training an assistant to handle email instead of just plowing through the email yourself. Yeah, those, so those are examples. So there's the subtitle of the book is five permissions to multiply your time. So we talk about five. And the reason that we use permissions, again, here's another thing about time management. It's completely wrong. Everything that you've ever heard on time management, like go Google podcasts on time management or go read one of the eight million books on it. And it will all be tips and tricks, tools and technology, calendars and checklists, apps and things to help you like better organize your time or your day or whatever. And in, in other words, it's all logical. What we learned from multipliers is that today, time management isn't just logical. It's emotional. It's the feelings of fear and guilt and anxiety and falling behind and the pressure to keep up and the desire to be successful that dictate how we spend our time as much as anything. Like, you know, you don't have to tell somebody, hey, you should spend time training your assistant to do that. Well, logically, I understand that. That's not the problem. The problem is giving myself the permission to let my email pile up, you know, maybe even get out of control while I say, you know what, I'm going to take the time to do this thing because even though I might fall behind a little bit today, when I make the significance calculation, I realize that anything that I create a process for today saves me time tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And so, what we did is we kind of we put this thing together called the focus funnel, which kind of is a visual depiction of the thought process that multipliers go okay. through. It has kind of this five strategies laid out, and they each have a corresponding permission. You know, we can talk through them if you want to, but you know, the idea is that it's emotional. It's like the reason I don't train my assistant or I don't hire one is because I go, oh, God, I don't have time. Right, right, yeah. You figure out, oh, that's so much harder than just doing it myself. I don't have time to sit down and think about that. I'm already trained to do my own email. It's just easier. Exactly. Well, maybe this is me. I'm, I'm weird and everyone knows that. But I get this weird cathartic experience where I'm like, I zeroed my inbox. I did so much work mm -hmm. today. I, can't, I went through 38 emails in the last hour. I feel so good. And it, there's an emotional attachment to that feeling, even though in truth, those 38 emails, I shouldn't have even seen them. Well, so you're not weird in that regard. You may be weird, uh, yes, but in that regard, <laughs> we are all the same. And what you just described, Jordan, is not just an emotional thing. It's a biological thing. Dopamine hit. You got it. If, see, absent the significance calculation, we inappropriately overweight the urgency calculation, which is exactly what most of us do when we're checking emails frantically or we're running around super fast like all the time, no margin in our life, gotta go, gotta go, gotta right. go. Because 
we're stuck inside the paradigm of only thinking about how much time do I have today? And that creates pressure. It's scarcity. It's like there's only so much time in this one day versus the significance calculation is freeing. You start thinking longer term. And that is right. What I used to do, like priority dilution is the new procrastination. What does that mean? Yeah. So priority dilution, unlike classic procrastination, classic procrastination is consciously delaying things you know you should be doing. But priority dilution is like unconsciously filling the day with stuff or it's, it has nothing to do with laziness or apathy or being disengaged. But as you become more successful or your business grows or you have more followers and you have more influence, there's more and more people striving for your attention. And naturally, your priorities start to dilute. And so we end up falling victim to whatever is latest and loudest. We live in this world of urgency. And not only is it other people being loud and fighting for our attention, but as you described and as you said, we get that shot of dopamine. And and here's how we, you know, you know this is you. If you've ever completed something on your to-do list or if you ever completed a task that wasn't on your to-do list, then you add it to your to-do oh list. Oh my God, and then I do that. Cross it off, cross it off Oh later. my God, I do that. I just did that before we got on the, on the, on air here, I go, oh, well, I did that. I should put that in Todoist and then click the checkbox. And I get that little karma thing up top. And I'm like, yay. Even though I'm at the top level, I watch that thing go, that is annoying that I do that. I know that I do that. And you're not, you're not alone. Uh, most of the world, the vast majority. I mean, what we multipliers we consider as the top 1% of performers in whatever industry. So 99% of the people are still living in the world of urgency. Now, here's where the shift happens. To a, what a multiplier, the way they think, they break free of that. They they rise above that because multipliers have realized that today success is no longer related to the volume of tasks that you complete, but the significance of them. And significance is measured not by how many emails are in my inbox today. Significance is measured by what are the fruits of the labor that I put in today, tomorrow, and the next day, and the next right. day? And as, and as soon as you start thinking like that, your whole world changes. Like, And that's the thing. Multipliers, it's not that there's something different in their DNA. It's that they literally think differently, uh, first of all, by significance, and then you know what the focus funnel is just kind of the outline of the order of of how they evaluate every single task or opportunity that comes their way when they just before they choose to do it it's 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 the mechanism they use to decide what they're going to do and what they're not going to do now back to Rory Vaden here's the thing and this is going to prove your point that it's emotional and not logical because I know it's stupid when I add that crap to my to-do list and uh -huh. check it off. I know <laughs> when I do that, I go, I'm so stupid for doing that. And, and I still do it. And I didn't realize that it was a destructive habit. I kind of just thought I'm such a nerd, you know, for doing this. But I realize now, like, and I don't do it with everything, but it's kind of like, oh man, this is something where I, I will do a meaningless task and add it. And, and I caught myself doing stuff just to add it to the list. And I'm like, oh, this is how you get sucked into the busy work trap, which I've been free of for years. I used the gamification systems that made me productive to sort of suck me back into the level of high productivity, but maybe low significance activities. And right. I'm like, this is actually, so you can use these tools, right? They're great. If you're, if you're the guy who wakes up and goes, 
uh, what should I do first? You need a calendar, you need a to-do list, you need to gamify that system. But then once you sort of master that, which most people never get to, right? I feel like 90% of people go, I can remember everything I need to do today, I don't need those tools, right? and they're less productive. But once you get to a certain point, you're right, the next 5% for me is not worrying about that, making sure I'm only doing high-level, high-value, high-leverage activities. Like, I should spend my time in front of the microphone here, not answering fan mail. Although, to be fair, I love answering fan mail, and I, I'll probably keep doing that for a while. But answering, let's say, customer service emails, like, hey, this link on your site's broken. Like, I shouldn't touch that, right? But I'll, I'll do it because I'm still used to solopreneur mode where it was like me and AJ sitting there, we're the only people on the whole team. Right. And it's hard to break out of that thinking because that's what got us successful in the first place. Exactly. And that is so huge that you just said that because the next creating the next level of results requires the next level of thinking. Yes. What you said is so true. Most people are still struggling with procrastination um, and they don't know what to do. And, you know, that's what Take the Stairs is for. And it's, you know, it's a great it's a great book and it's a motivational kick in the butt. But the people who are, that's why we say priority dilution is the chronic overachievers procrastination because yeah. it's the result of having been a successful solopreneur, working your butt off, going 100 million miles an hour, doing everything. It's how you got to where you are, but it's like what got you here won't get you there. And so breaking free now to significance, I'll just use a, an empirical example. And this is actually from Delegate, which is the third of the five permissions, is the third step in the funnel. But there's a, a rule that we learned from one of the multipliers called the 30X rule. Okay. If you ask the average entrepreneur, or leader, or business owner, you know, whoever, parent even, and you say, are there things you're doing that somebody else could be trained to do? Most people will say yes, right? Like logically, they know somebody else could be taught how to do this. But you say, well, why haven't you done that? That's where the emotional part comes in. They go, well, I just don't have time for that. It's faster for me to do it myself. So the 30X rule is looking at this empirically. Uh, you know, with mathematically, with numbers. So let's say you have a task that takes you five minutes a day. Okay. Okay. 30X rule says spend 30 times the amount of time it takes you to do the task once training someone else how to do that task for you. Okay, I got that. Why 30 times? The, why, is that just how long it takes to train some, somebody to do something well? Not necessarily, but it's just kind of a general rule of thumb. So this will make sense to you in just a minute. So Let's say you have a, a task that is five minutes a day. So the 30X rule suggests you should spend 150 minutes training someone how to do a task that takes you five. And this is where people lose it on me. They're like, Rory, that is the stupidest advice I have ever heard. Why in the world would I spend 150 minutes? That's two and a half hours. Why would I spend two and a half hours training someone how to do a task that I could do myself in five minutes? And the answer is you wouldn't unless you made the significance calculation. If you only live in a world of here and now and urgency and today, you would it never makes sense to spend that two and a half hours. But if you make the significance calculation, everything changes. Okay, so now let me walk you through the math on this. So let's say the task takes you five minutes a day and there's 250 working days in just one year. Mm -hmm. All right, so we're gonna extend our perspective out one year. So 250 working days in a year, that means over the course of one day, it only takes you five minutes, but over the course of one year, it takes you 1,250 minutes. 
So now the question is not, should I spend 150 minutes training someone to do a task that takes me five? Now the question, is it worth it to me to spend 150 minutes to save me 1,250 minutes in the long run? The answer is equally obvious, but it is the exact opposite. And the difference is only your the significance calculation, the change in your perspective. If you were a financial advisor and you were analyzing this as an, an investment, if you invested 150 minutes and you got a net gain of 1100 it would have taken you 1250 if you did it by yourself over the course of a year but you spent 150 training someone else right so you, there's this net gain of 1100 so you put 150 in you got 1100 back that's a 733% ROTI which is a term that we introduced called return on time invested and also a delicious indian street food roti Mm, yes. um, <laughs> I think so anyway. No, I totally get that, right? I, I didn't understand before. I, I was going to say, why the hell would you spend that amount of time training somebody to do? Now I understand. So this is what you talk about. This is what you meant when you were talking about creating more time. Exactly. It's, it's multiplying time. It costs me two and a half hours today. Now, the reality is it's not going to take you two and a half hours to train someone to do a task that takes five minutes. Right. And also people quit and you got to retrain and blah, blah, right. blah. But like the initial math is sound. The sure. concept is sound. Well, and the concept, and that's where you do maybe do spend the two and a half hours is you, you know, the first assistant you hire fails and then you got to get another one and whatever. You got to usually go through a couple before they stick. But regardless, over time, it comes back to you. It's return on time invested. One of the greatest realizations for me personally, Jordan, like as I was writing the book, you know, I'm actually typing and it occurs to me that the way that wealthy people think about money is exactly the same way that multipliers think about time. It's like you can spend that time and it's gone forever or you can invest that time. So um, we're kind of doing the focus funnel in reverse. Right. The second one is automate. So it's above. My favorite line in the whole book is automation is to your time exactly what compounding interest is to your money. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So just like compounding interest takes money and it makes money into more money, automation takes time and it makes it into more time. The only difference between automation and delegation really is a human, a human element. They're really the, it's the, really the same concept. If you back out, and, and I should probably just give you kind of the bird's eye view, the focus funnel here. So if you picture a funnel, this is the process that multipliers go through when they're evaluating how to spend their time. So at the top of the funnel is uh, all the tasks and opportunities are coming in. The first question that multipliers run through is eliminate. They ask themselves, you know, is this even worth doing? And about probably 60% of our emails are not even worth doing, but this is the permission to ignore. And it is an emotional thing. It's all about guilt and getting past the guilt of telling people no. Uh, so that's eliminate. And, you know, we can go deeper in these in a second. But the second one in the middle, if you can't eliminate it, then that task drops down to the middle of the funnel, which is automate. That's the permission to invest, to invest the time and energy today to create a system that will give you more time tomorrow because now the system is doing it instead of you. Um, if you can't automate it, then the next checkpoint is can I delegate it? Meaning can somebody else be trained how to do it? If you can't eliminate it, automate it, or delegate it, then that task falls out the bottom of the funnel. And at that point, there is, you know that's a task that must be done by you. Nobody else can do this. 
And what most of us chronic overachievers do, and this is what I used to do, is we immediately launch into just going, well, nobody else can do this. I'm just going to do it and take care of it. And I get my shot of dopamine and I check off my list and I delete that email from my inbox and it's like I feel like I'm doing things. But multipliers resist that temptation and they instead ask this one critical question, which is, okay, so I must do it. Must it be done now or can it wait until later? If it must be done now, that is concentrate. It's the permission to protect. Honestly, it's not all that fascinating or original. That's just, you know, protecting your focus, like closing your door, ignoring incoming calls, turn off your email, valuable stuff. It's really about prioritizing. The much more fascinating discussion is if you decide it can wait until later, then multipliers are saying you don't eliminate, automate it, or delegate it. You procrastinate on purpose, uh, which is where the title of the book comes from. So we call it POP for short. Now, you don't procrastinate on it forever, but what you do is you pop that activity back to the top of the funnel, at which point it enters into this holding pattern where it cycles through the focus funnel until eventually one of the other four strategies will get executed on it. Oh, man, that's brilliant. That's excellent. I want to just explain to a lot of the people listening that I think, you know, because this was initially sort of lost on me as well. The things that we do now to get to the 90%, like all, a lot of uh, my friends and myself, like are, are chronic, like overachievers, mm -hmm. <laughs> et cetera, yeah. we have all these good habits in place, but they are limiting. So this is the next level, right, th that you were mentioning before. The next level of performance requires the next level of thinking. And this is different than just self-discipline, right? It's not just like, okay, I need to make sure I'm getting this done the right way. It's just not doing it at all. Well, okay, so I would actually say no. I would say it is self-discipline. It is, because you have to, oh, you know what, you're right, because you have to discipline yourself not to do this dumb yes. crap and invest the time. The chronic overachiever, it's weird, it's mind-bending, right? But, but to me, self-discipline is doing the things you know you should be doing even when you don't feel like doing them. Now, if you're a lazy ass, uh, that's procrastination and that's where you need to take the stairs, you need to get to work, you need to get your butt in gear. Um, and that's what the whole take the stairs conversation is all about. But if you're a chronic overachiever, then what happens is you're moving so fast, you're doing so many things, you have so many irons in the fire that your MO, your modus operandi has become the, the way that I operate is by frantic, chaotic sprinting. Um, and yet when you get to that mode, it takes you to a certain point, but the only way to get, like, if you operate in that method of like efficiency and do everything yourself, then the only strategy that you have to employ is I can either do things faster or I can juggle more things. Uh, you know, we say it's like you can be a, a hamster running on the treadmill is going faster, or you can try to prioritize, which is constantly bumping one thing in front of the next. That's more like, but prioritizing isn't creating time. It's borrowing time. It's like juggling. And so really, it's like all we are is a bunch, a bunch of juggling hamsters sprinting towards this inevitable burnout because there's no other strategy. And that's what most of us are doing. We're working longer than ever before and we're going faster. So for that person, self-discipline is saying, even though it is faster to for me to do this, and even though it is faster, it's I can do it better, I need to not do it myself. Because here's the thing, it might be true that you can do it faster than someone else or that you can do it better than someone else once. 
maybe twice, maybe three times. But when you make the significance calculation and you think longer term, you start to realize that anybody that you hire and train, they might not be able to do it as well as you at first. Uh, and this is the permission of uh, the permission that goes with procrastinate is the permission of imperfect. You have to give yourself the permission of imperfect for a short term in order that you can multiply your results in the long term. And for a chronic overachiever, that is so hard. Even saying procrastinate on purpose, it like grinds against the core of everything that you have believed, everything that you have relied on to get you to where you are. But it's what you must do to break free to become a real multiplier and get to the next level. All right, back to the show. Inevitably, whenever I do shows like this, I start to get emails from well-intentioned show fans that are loaded with like these kind of trite cliches about time management and stuff. And I used to be like, oh, that's cool and, and humor it. But the more I learn about the stuff that you're doing, the more those are kind of harmful in a lot of ways to let that go unchecked. Do you address that at all in, in your work? Well, you know, we addressed it directly in the interviews. So what happens is, uh, you know, we go out and we profile some of our top clients. We profile just people in our network. We do surveys. We find these people who are, you know, the top one percenters that we refer to as multipliers. And we ask them directly. You know, I that was part of what I was doing is interviewing these people. You know, some of them are billionaires and some of them are, are stay-at-home moms that have just huge side businesses. Some of them are church leaders. And eight of the profiles actually made it into the book. But you find a shocking amount of their mentality rejects kind of the, the common beliefs. For example, like to-do lists. Okay, it's not that multipliers think that to-do lists are useless, but what multipliers say is the next generation time management has much more deciding with what you don't do yes. than what is on your to-do list. It's that eliminate. It's the permission to ignore. Here's one thing that I struggle with, Jordan, is I'm such a people pleaser like I always have been. And, uh, you know, anybody that's charming, you know, we're being agreeable and we're making friends and stuff. Well, that's why I'm not really charming. I just have a show called <laughs> that. <laughs> but go the, ahead. The art of what I'm not. The art uh, of charm for other people, because let's be real, <laughs> I'm not that guy. You know, I have a hard time saying no. And so what ends up happening is, is, is an attempt to try to never say no. I always say yes. And one of the multipliers, like they literally called me out. They're like, Rory, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. They said, it is so futile to try to go through life without ever saying no. It's, it's impossible. Anytime you're saying yes to one thing, you are simultaneously saying no to an infinite number of others. And so, once you have that realization, once you have that insight, you go, holy crap, I am either consciously saying no to the things that don't matter or I inadvertently end up unconsciously saying no to the things that do matter. And once I have that realization, now I give myself the permission to basically reject other people. And that's really hard. Now, it's not in a mean way and it's it's also in a serving way because you get to this place where you realize that your highest value to others is to be your highest self. Like, Jordan, nobody else can do this podcast. Nobody. Nobody else would. <laughs> nobody else cares enough 
Um, But, you know, you're the guy. Like, people, we love you. We follow you. You have built a relationship with us. But a million people can do your programming and your email and your customer service and your website and all that stuff. But if you are doing those things, you might be making that one customer service issue. You might be serving them and they're happy, but you're disserving the other 1.3 million of us because you're taking away from the energy you could be dedicating to the thing that multiplies your time, which is this. This is the thing that when you do it today, it multiplies your time. It creates more results. I mean, that's what's so beautiful. We live in this world of multiplication. We, you know, the tools, we're big Infusionsoft users and we, uh, we do Infusionsoft uh, one-on-one coaching with people, uh, you know, social media, podcasts, blogs, like Never in the in the history of time has there been more opportunity for individuals to multiply their influence, but it doesn't make a lick of difference if you can't give yourself the permission to change your thinking in order to take advantage of it. That is, that's a really good mindset shift for a lot of folks, myself included, because it's easy to sort of, again, on a logical level, remember that if you spend half an hour doing something, you're spending a half hour not doing everything else, but it can drive Mm -hmm. you crazy doing that. However, if you identify what you're not supposed to be doing versus what you should be doing, then you can make those decisions clearly. And I think that's the problem that a lot of folks have, myself included back in the day as well, is figuring out what you shouldn't be doing. Because again, if you once you start saying, oh, well, you know, this isn't my job, you think, well, no, that's not what got me here. But you're again, you have to change your level of thinking. And it's not as simple as hiring a VA in the Philippines and hoping that everything works out for the best. This is an investment in your team, an investment in training, because the problem is people go, I'm just gonna outsource everything. And then the quality level drops to an unacceptable level, and then they go, oh, this outsourcing thing doesn't work, I just gotta do it myself. And you have to find that balance where you have a quality team member. You have to be willing to pay that person what you would have normally paid somebody who can reasonably do it. you know, you said something brilliant in your book as well, where, and I'm gonna butcher it, so feel free to step in, but if you're not paying somebody their rate to do something, you're paying yourself at your rate to do that same task, even if that task is something that is worth 10%, 1%, whatever of your rate, you're doing it at that rate, right? Can you explain that a little more? I just totally annihilated that. No, that was good. The concept that you're talking about there is is what we call MVOT, M-V-O-T. It stands for the money value of time, not to be confused with the time value of money. But the money value of time basically says we all have an hourly rate of pay. Everybody does. Like just take whatever your tax return was divided by the number of hours, right, that you worked. And that's what your MVOT, that's the money value of your time. And most people, especially like the early entrepreneurs, when we're first starting, uh, you know, we started Southwestern Consulting from scratch. I mean, there were four of us. And so, you know, now I mentioned we're scaling quite nicely. And But early on, it was like I had to get myself to go through this because I didn't feel like I don't have the money to pay someone to do my paperwork and, you know, send out thank you cards and do this stuff. We're not, we can't afford it. But it's like you already are affording it because you're either paying someone else at their rate of pay or you're paying yourself at yours. Right. And chances are you're going to make more. The other thing that you said, I want to come back to something that you just mentioned. It it reminded me of uh, an idea. 
like you said, the hard part is deciding what should I do and what shouldn't right. I do. And there's not hard and fast answers to that. There's not black and white answers. The focus funnel, the reason we created it is it's meant to be inclusive enough that you can run all your tasks through it and have sort of a, a strategy, but dynamic enough that you can be perpetually evolving. Like some of these time management systems take so much freaking time to keep up with. It's like it's, it takes 10 hours a week just to update your time management system and, you know, right. uh, keep it organized. But the big one, when it comes to procrastination, here's how you know if you should be waiting or you shouldn't be waiting. And we, we touched on this earlier that there's a big difference between waiting because you're deciding that now is not the right time versus uh, waiting because you don't feel like doing something. So waiting to do something in action that results from indulgence is procrastination. But in action that results from intention is procrastinating on purpose or patience. In action that results from indulgence is procrastination. In action that results from intention is patience. So choosing to not answer my inbox in the name of saying, I'm going to spend the time training my team or training my assistant or finding and hiring and selecting somebody, that is intention, that is patience, that is what multipliers do. Not making the sales call because you're scared. You need to make that sales call uh, or you need to do your taxes or you need to go to the gym or you need to work on that project and you're scared to do it or you don't feel like doing it. That's procrastination. That is the kind of waiting that you should not be doing. But the strategic type is what procrastinate on purpose is. And that's where, you know, the chronic overachievers, we, we got to get to. That's great. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I, that's really the core difference, right? You just have to be able to program yourself to to know the difference and then have the self-discipline to not do it anyway because you want it, you got to invest the time into finding someone else to do it. And of course, finding the right team members and all that stuff is a totally different story. But that that's the problem that you have after you finally commit to doing this in the first place. Yeah, and one of the other things that took me a while to really get through my head was doing something early is not the same as creating more time. Doing something early is simply taking something from tomorrow, bringing it into today, and then adding the risk of what we call unexpected change cost. Yeah. The best real example or ubiquitous example that everyone can relate to is booking a flight. So let's say I have a flight coming up in six months. Well, the chronic overachiever in me wants to write that on my to-do list, get the flight books and cross it off so I can be done, out of my head, move on, look at me, oh, I'm so productive. Well, the multiplier realizes that when you book that flight too early, you're adding the risk of unexpected change costs because what happens so often is our plans change and I got to get there a day earlier. I got to stay a day later. If my plans change, not only do I have to spend more time calling up the airline and rebooking my flight, but the airline is going to charge me a change fee. There, that's, well, that's even what they call yeah. it. So if you procrastinate on purpose, if you, okay, think of the funnel and you have that task that you can't eliminate, you can't automate, you can't delegate it. So it, it falls out the bottom of the funnel and you're trying to decide, okay, can I do it now or can it wait till later? If you pop the activity and it goes to the top of the funnel and enters in that holding pattern, what I've noticed is some magic really starts to happen. 
if you can continually keep procrastinating a task on purpose, like if it's never urgent enough to drop down into the concentrate category, then over time, you actually develop the confidence to do what you should have done in the first place, which was eliminate it altogether. Or you think of a system or you find a system or someone else comes up with a system that you can automate it or the people around you will rise to the call of leadership and they will get things done. And if you're okay with doing that, you're going to make their lives better. You're going to develop them. My favorite quote on this is from a, 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 a pastor and a writer named Andy Stanley, who I love. And he says, you got to remember, leadership isn't about getting things done right leadership's about getting things done through other people. Yeah. Well, excellence. I mean, personally, this is a big shift because it's something I've started doing, but not necessarily very conscious of it. Right. And I think a lot of people listening are sick of the same old tired productivity advice, especially knowing now that a lot of the top performers don't even use that same advice. It's just like a trite cliche that works for people who are not performing well, or lack motivation, or lack systems in general. Um, stuff I would have been happy to hear or, or needed desperately five years ago now doesn't apply at all, right? This has been very enlightening, I love it. I, I definitely wanna now consciously involve this in the way that I look at things. Not that I haven't been outsourcing and delegating and things like that before, but I still, have yet to consciously invest the amount of time to get rid of pretty much everything other than where my core value lies. And it's it's tough. It's It goes against Hard. what I've learned growing up in Michigan with blue-collar parents that say, work your ass off and do this stuff and get it done. Don't just slough it off on other people. However, you're right. Once you realize, listen, you're doing a disservice to the majority of the people involved with your life and your business, well, then it's a different equation. Well, and, and there's nothing about this that doesn't say work your ass off. I mean, uh, you're still working your ass off, but you're working your ass off doing the things that only you can do. And here's the thing. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you are not like most people in the world. You are not. You're nothing like the majority of the people in the world. You are rare. You are so rare to even be spending time and, and lending your attention to trying to get better. And that's because you have the gift of creation. Like you have the ability to create. You are one of the creators. You create the jobs. You create the ideas. You create the, the influence. And so to not do this stuff is a disservice to other people because if you're not pursuing that dream, then somebody else doesn't get to pursue theirs as part of yours. Excellent, thanks so much, I much appreciate it. Where can people find more? I mean, we'll link this in the show notes at superprocrastinateonpurpose.com, and of course the book. Is there anything you wanna leave us with that I didn't ask you or give you the opportunity to uh, to teach us? Well, uh, thank you, Jordan. I, you know, I would, I would tell people, you know, give yourself the permission to go invest an hour at uh, procrastinateonpurpose.com. It's a totally free webinar. You can see the focus funnel. I walk you through the whole thing, uh, and then there's other links to to find me. But the the last thing I, I would just say, Jordan, and you know, I appreciate you and the work that you've put in over the last five years to to do what you're doing. And you know, coming back to that last little point. It doesn't matter who you are or how long you've been doing what you're doing and whether you get to the point of multiplying or not. For all of us, ultimately, success is never owned. Success is only rented, and the rent is due every day.
Thank you very much, man. Much appreciated. Thanks, brother. Excellent episode, if I do say so myself. Really like Rory, really love his content. Show feedback and guest suggestions. Rory was a suggestion from a fan out there just like you, and I rely on you to keep my finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, just like Rory, let me know. I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank Rory on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well, as well as resources and things like that that he's mentioned on the show. And I also post tons of stuff on Twitter, stuff that never makes it to the show, articles, insights, infographics, and other crap that The Art of Charm uh, produces and other people produce. And I'm at The Art of Charm on Twitter. Bootcamp details at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. And also on the website, we've got some bonus episodes that aren't released in the iTunes feed for those of you who just can't get enough AOC. And please subscribe in iTunes and check out our network, Podcast One. We're also gonna be on Spotify pretty soon, but I'm not allowed to say when. And of course, we have our iPhone and Android apps available at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone and slash Android. And last but not least, please review us in iTunes. If you write something nice, I'll love you forever. And also, it helps us outrank a lot of the other stuff that's out there that you might not like as much as AOC. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. Go ahead, tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com.